Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, you know what? As usual, I've got some great guests joining me a little bit later on in the hour. I've got Mr. Sean Hildebrand. He is the Senior Vice President at Urbanation. Who is Urbanation? Well, you know what? They are definitely fact finders. They're going to tell us what is going on in the condominium market. Are, do we have a shortage? Or do all those cranes in the sky mean that we've got a lot of inventory? So we're going to uh, rely on Mr. Hildebrand's professionalism and the fact that he's been in the industry for years. And speaking of being in the industry for years, we will have Romana King. You know the name. She's uh, a real great guest for us to have on on a regular basis. She's going to give us an update on what's happening out in BC as well. We're going to talk about Toronto. Lots to talk about this week, of course, because as we wind down the year, real estate still has its foot on the gas pedal and i've got lots to talk to you about so uh, make sure you stay tuned hey remember if you uh, if you happen to miss any part of the show or maybe one week you don't catch the show make sure you go to our uh, our website click on our uh, simply real estate and pop up on soundcloud you know what it's uh, it's great you can listen to the show in the car on your ipad whatever you want to do and you'll be able to catch up on some of our guests because it's always great to have them on but let's uh, let's have a little chat about what is actually going on in the marketplace of course after winding down November market seems to be getting a little bit stronger and a lot of the concern that's happening right now is everybody is worried about the new stress test for five-year fixed mortgages yep that's it you know what M moving forward every form of mortgage will have a stress test but there are a few things that uh, we've got to take a look at. There are different companies out there, and they're not the banks that are going to be offering mortgages without stress tests. And this is this is one of the things that, you know, what I think 2018 is going to show some of the private lenders, you know, um, some of the different trusts that are going to be offering out mortgages, and you will not have to worry about a stress test. Uh, some of the credit unions as well. And so, if you're involved with these, they may be taking a look at the five year fixed mortgage at the current interest rate that you can get it for. So if you're sitting around 2.89 to 3.15, that's what you have to qualify. But when we take a look at what the banks are going to be putting into play, we are going to be looking at 4.89 that you have to qualify. What does that mean to you? Well, it means that chances are you're going to qualify for about 15% less in a purchase price. That's a big number. And for a lot of you that are out there struggling to buy still, it's not a positive thing. And you know what? The government uh, intervention seems to never cease to amaze me. Um, just recently, the Canadian Real Estate Association wants uh, parents to be able to assist children with a home purchase with their own RRSPs. So here's the thing. Under the current plan, first-time buyers can withdraw up to $25,000 from their RRSPs to contribute to the purchase of a home. You know, we've, we've heard about this for many, many years, and it's a tax-free loan, but generally to be repaid within 15 years. Now, okay, it's not really a tax-free loan because it is your RRSPs. It's just the government's waiting for you to pay them taxes on it. So they're letting you pull them out. You don't have to pay taxes on it, but you have to make sure you repay it. Now... The Canadian Real Estate Association is saying, hey, let, let's do the extension of the home buyer's plan to allow, they call it intergenerational RRSP loans. You know, they think that's going to ease some of the financial burden. So, hey, mom and dad, give me some money for the down payment, but you can use your RRSPs to do it. 
I don't know if this is going to make a lot of sense, and they haven't got it. They haven't got it approved yet. You know, this is just maybe I don't know. Maybe they've put it on Santa's wish list. Maybe they're sitting there saying, "Hey, listen, you know, if the market's going to slow down, maybe we could throw a little bit of fire onto it and and, and heat it up again." But if we take a look at it, that means that your parents can turn around and what add twenty five grand from their RRSPs. It's not going to be enough. I mean, when we talk about where the markets are, uh, you know, I think maybe they could let go of the maximum and why not make it up to 50 or $100,000, you know? So if the would-be first-time homebuyer has more, and good for them if they've done it, then perhaps they'll have the ability to be able to buy more property. Again, it's one of those things that I don't know if it's just on the wish list or if it's actually going to happen. We're going to find out, though, because, you know, Canadian Real Estate Association is, can be quite aggressive with things, and they like obviously helping people uh, in the real estate market, and we'll wait and see how that goes. A couple other things that happened this week in the news, of course, are you ready, Toronto? Toronto homeowners will pay 2.89% more on your tax bill in 2018. But that makes you feel good. Nothing like increasing taxes. Again, for a lot of people, that may not be a whole lot, but it certainly adds up. So the question is, is that why do they have to keep going up? Well, they're saying that's an inflationary number and we're going to turn around and they will continue, Toronto will continue to charge an infrastructure levy of 0.5%. And so when they take a look at that, this is where it's going to be pushing everybody up to about 2.89%. They're saying that basically they're using the inflationary number of 2.1% for single homes. Hmm. All right. So in other words, they want more money in the coffers. Well, I'm pretty sure they've got a reason for it because they've made a lot of commitments. But here's one. Here's an interesting uh, number for you. That the robust real estate market uh, tax brought in, this is so that what gets paid out, $793 million in real estate transactions. So that's that land transfer tax that's being paid out, $85 million more than in 2016. So that means prices were up and lots of money being collected. Those are big, big numbers. And again, we'll have to wait and see what the government does. Also, here's the thing. A lot of stuff that is really making news this week is, first and foremost, the vacancy rate below 1% when we talk about condominiums and detached homes. That's a really no low number, folks. When you talk about that, it's virtually there is no vacancy. In other words, you can't you can't get a property. And a lot of you that are out renting, you're starting to find out that you're going into competition. So a couple pieces of advice I'm going to give you. If you are a would-be tenant and you want to get out into the marketplace, here's a piece of advice. Make sure you've got a great credit rating. Um, not that you can fudge your credit rating, but make sure you're paying your bills on time. Make all your visa companies and your uh, car loans make everybody happy. On top of that, make sure you have certified funds for that deposit check. And you know what? As much background as you can give a landlord is going to be preferable. If you just show up and say, hey, listen, I'm going to make a great tenant and somebody else comes in with a lot stronger file, guess what? Chances are you are not going to get the property. So this is the thing. It's becoming very competitive, the, the, uh, the rental market. And if you want to be a tenant in a building that you want to live in, then make sure you've stated your case properly. And if you've got a realtor representing you, make sure that they know exactly the right things to say to the would-be landlord. So keep that in mind. 
Here's another thing. Bank of Canada just came out with this, and I, I want to talk about this because this is one of the ones that I think some people are a little bit concerned about. Half of Canadian real estate mortgages will renew by the next year. So in other words, when we talk about renewals, so those of you that have gone out and purchased, I don't know if that number is exact because to me it sounds like that's a pretty big number unless we had a lot of people tying in those one to two year mortgages that have had uh, low interest rates or for that matter some of the people that are floating around with the variables and getting a little bit concerned but right now they're saying a lot of mortgages are going to be renewing next year and that means you're going to be renewing it probably at a higher interest rate so keep in mind renewals or starting over again yeah a lot of times when people turn around and just do a rollover if they've been on a five-year mortgage it means that they're now looking at a 20-year amortization as opposed to a 25-year amortization so you're just continuing on paying it down you can actually turn around you can do this with your current lender or switch lenders and start all over again and go to a 25-year amortization which means that yes you are dropping your payment you are not pushing through uh, as much to try to get that mortgage knocked down but at the same time it might make it a little bit more affordable now upon your renewal keep in mind from the last time that you did your mortgage if it was five years ago your mortgage has probably dropped by about 15 percent providing that you've not loaded up on your home line of credit or anything like that so your values are pretty good still and you're going to be renewing at a lower mortgage amount so with an uptick in some interest rates yep it's going to affect you a little but if you do it correctly your payment might be able to be the same so make sure you work with your lender keep in mind it's not just about interest rates one of the things that you should always take a hard look at are prepayment privileges or if you have to break the mortgage I'll tell you some companies are really really tough on that one now one of the topics I do want to talk about just released in the news this week Treb lost their case when we were talking about competition in other words they've been the gatekeeper of the information and unfortunately for them they have now lost with the competition bureau and their competition bureau is now saying you need to be able to open up the vault of information so everybody has the same access to it what does this mean for realtors? You know, one of the things that uh, as a realtor they always coveted was the fact that they had the knowledge you couldn't get it. So in other words, what did that house sell for around the corner? Um, how many times has this house sold? Now, this information has always been made available to everyone if you turn around and paid a fee at the land registry office. But most people don't know they can do that and, and most people also don't have the time to do it. So this is why they normally would employ a realtor. You know, there's a lot of reasons to employ realtors and especially the professional ones, the ones that I talk about all the time. You know, when they're full-time, they actually have a marketing plan, they have a business plan and they're focused on results for you and their negotiation skills are at the top of the uh, of the industry but again a lot of people just rely on them for information so now they're saying that the information is gonna be wide open for everybody you can gain it so does this affect realtors I think it's going to I think realtors are going to struggle with this in fact my concern is that a bunch of pop-up companies are going to turn around they're going to open it up you're going to be able to find out all the information very easily and some of the realtors who were just hanging on by a thread saying no no you I still got the information they're going to struggle so 
we've got an interesting year that's going to come up in 2018. First and foremost, the market, you know what, with the with the new stress test coming in, might slow it down a little. Uh, even though we are still struggling with inventory, we'll see how the full effects of the market come into play the first few months of 2018. And now, with the information being readily available, some realtors might struggle. But that's not really your concern as a consumer. For you, the good thing is, is that now you don't have to turn around and rely on a realtor for all the information. Now you'll be able to have access. And I think access to the information is going to be very important for the future. And if a realtor is going to be a good professional, they have a lot more to offer you than just the information of what your next door neighbor sold for. So listen, coming up, after this, I've got Mr. Sean Hildebrand. He is Senior Vice President of Urban Nation, so he's going to be joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. Uh, if you're just tuning in, my next guest is uh, an expert in this field. His name is Mr. Sean uh, Hildebrand, and he is Senior Vice President of Urban Nation. And Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you. Urban Nation, can you tell us what your company does? We're a research firm that's focused on the Toronto real estate market. We have a specialty in reporting and analyzing trends on the condominium and rental apartment sectors in particular. And we produce market feasibility studies for developers looking to construct new apartment buildings. So, you know, obviously, uh, you know, all our listeners know that Toronto has been growing like crazy. We see a lot of cranes in the sky and, you know, but uh, some of the reports right now are saying, you know, we're not keeping up with demand. In fact, over the next few years, there's going going to be a real shortage of buildings. Um, is this true? And what kind of numbers are we are we dealing with today and, and in the future? Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of um, counterintuitive to a lot of people to, to sort of see that there's all these construction cranes around town and to think that we could possibly be underbuilding condo apartments. But it is actually the, the case, and we've been seeing that in the numbers. There's about 55,000 condos under construction across the greater Toronto area. And that's a level that's been pretty steady over the past few years. But as that has sort of leveled out, what we've seen is that the population has been growing. And the demand for condo apartments has been growing even quicker than the demand for uh, single-family homes. What we've seen is that the inventory that's actually available for purchase in the high-rise sector has fallen. Even though we're witnessing this continued condo development boom, the level of, of inventory to actually purchase a new condo apartment is at one of the lowest levels that we've seen in the past 15 years. So this is putting some pressure on pricing, obviously. You know, condos have always been viewed as that sort of entry point for first-time buyers to get into the marketplace. They've been affordably priced. But now what we're seeing is that, you know, the average price of a condo has risen up to $500,000. And uh, a lot of first-time buyers are starting to get priced out as a result. It's actually been putting a lot of pressure on the rental market, which in turn has also put a lot of pressure on the condo stock because, as we know, a lot of condos are bought by investors who use them as rental properties. And the numbers that have just come out from CMHC on vacancy rates have also revealed that there's a shortage of rental properties. The vacancy rate for condo apartments in the city is less than 1%. So even though we continue to build all these new condo apartments, the demand has been far outstripping supply. When we talk about condominiums, um, and, and as you alluded to, there's a lot of them being built. And of course, the huge surge in condominiums, we've seen the prices jump. Now, you know, entry point is almost at $800 per square foot. We're seeing one-bedroom condos selling in that four to $500,000 range. But, you know, it does doesn't seem like our rents. I mean, we've seen a big increase in rents over the last couple of years, but quite frankly, it still seems like they're a little stagnant in comparison to the actual purchase price, which if you're an investor coming in with, you know, 20 or 25% down, you're still not in a positive cash flow position. 
is this going to limit people uh, you know a little bit from the idea of buying something and renting it out or are we seeing more speculators hopping into this market saying hey look you know maybe I'm gonna lose a little bit of money from my cash flow but down the road it's gonna be worth more um, well the traditional way of, of investing in condos is that you buy a pre-construction condo and then you wait for the rents in the marketplace to appreciate to a point where it actually turns out that, that there is some positive cash flow. So that's worked out quite well in the past. So investors that have seen their units come to completion, let's say over the last 12 months, uh, for the most part, are, have actually been in that standpoint because they had that 20 per, 20% down payment and they've seen rents grow by considerable amounts just over the last few years. But you're right, prices have been rising much quicker than rents in the last couple of years and the economics are going to be more challenged, I would say, for the investors that are buying pre-construction units today. So they're going to have to be very careful at the price points at which they're, uh, they're buying, and they're going to have to, 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 to factor in, obviously, higher interest rates as we're starting to see those move up, and the fact that rents may not be as high as they expect. There could be some shorter-term uh, investors in the marketplace today versus what we've seen historically. That's a problem for the market because we've come to rely on condo investors to be our primary source of new rental supply. As you know, we, we don't build that many traditional purpose-built rental apartment buildings, and we probably will continue not to see a, a significant level of purpose-built rental development in light of the extension of new rent controls. So in condo investors are really what we need to continue to act as the primary source of new supply. The big run-up in prices obviously jeopardizes that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, and, and, and I'm glad you touched on it, the fact that they've now got rent control for all properties and uh, with the with the latest release in the provincial government back in the spring. But also the fact is is that they're also not encouraging developers even by incentivizing them to be able to c- come in and build more purpose-built rentals. Yeah, there, there was a small incentive offered through a development charge rebate. I think it was $125 million over five years. It, it just simply isn't enough. We're still seeing demand uh, to build purpose-built rentals, but it's more mostly from larger institutional investors. That rebate is really meaningless to them. What we need to see is the smaller or mid-sized developers come in and start and start adding you know, the additional supply that we need. Um, you know, th- you know, there's a lot of things that the government can do to help encourage the smaller investor to come in, you know, provide sort of preferential treatment for new rental developers to build rental as opposed to condo, um, give them a rolling exemption on rent control uh, for the first few years after completion, um, give them a break on development charges, some tax incentives, other things like that. Um, you know, the, the data that we're seeing that's coming out in, in you know, the census, the, the CMHC releases, our data, are all pointing very clearly to an undersupply of rental apartments. And in our view, unless we double the level of rental construction from where it is right now, we're going to continue to face a severe shortage over the next 10 years. And vacancy rates face very little prospect of rising above where they are right now, which I mentioned is, is basically 1%. In the condo market, it's even less than 1%. Do you see the next few years really being a huge demand for people owning condominiums and renting them out? Yeah, I, I think that the condo market and the rental market are probably going to be uh, one of your best performers in the Toronto real estate market um, in the next couple of years. And, and that really is an, an affordability situation. If, if you look at affordability conditions as they are right now for the average priced home, they're at their worst since the early 1990s, and, and you know we know how the housing market performed back then. It was quite it was quite weak. But the difference now is that we have substitution products, whereas we didn't have that many condominiums back in the early 1990s. So buyers that are priced out of the single-family home market can gravitate towards condo apartments, and then those that are priced out of buying a condo can actually rent one. So I think these are sort of the market segments that are going to perform best. 
The problem is, and, 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 and we've released some research with Ryerson University on this topic, is that we haven't been building necessarily the right product mix of, of condos. So we expect to see demand within the condo market start to diversify. So it's not going to be just your entry-level first-time buyers getting in and buying one-bedroom apartments, but it's also going to be those individuals who can't buy a single-family home but want to live in the city and are looking for a two-bedroom apartment within a more mid-rise building in a neighborhood setting. Those are the types of buildings that we haven't been building enough of, and we're we're experiencing a shortage of supply of that right now. And we're calling on uh, you know the industry to start taking another look at this and, and, and encouraging developers and providing some incentive to come in and build along the avenues and, and, and construct new apartment buildings within the neighborhood setting so we can accommodate downsizers moving from single-family homes, bringing up some supply on the low-rise side, but also allowing families to stay within the city and you know get into the market and stay within the market at a relatively affordable price point. If you look at the average price of a single detached home in Toronto right now, it's about $1.3 million. Uh, even a semi or a townhouse is eight or $900,000. What we're missing are two-bedroom, uh, two-bedroom plus den units that are six, seven hundred thousand dollars. There's very few of those. Even though that sounds quite expensive, that's kind of the missing middle portion of the, of the Toronto housing market right now. Sean, it's uh, been great having you on today, and I appreciate all your information. And definitely, we'll have to follow up in the new year with you and see where the market's going. That's great. Thanks for having me, folks. That was Mr. Sean Hildebrand, and he is Senior Vice President of Urbanation. When we come back, we've got Romana King joining us. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning me in right now, I've got Romana King joining me. Yep, you're familiar with that name. Great guest. She is an author. She is a real estate expert. Um, you've read a lot of her articles in Money Sense magazine, and it's great to have her join us once again. And uh, welcome back to the show. Hello, Todd. How are you? <laughs> I'm great, thanks. You know, uh, Ramana, it's always nice to to touch base with you. You know, every once in a while, because you've got such a great perspective on the real estate market. But you and I have so much to talk about. You know, if if we don't chat for about a month, it seems like the whole world does. Uh, you know, another flip flop, something else going on the real estate world. And I always like to start out at the west end of Canada, where you are currently, uh, out in BC, and maybe you can bring us up to date on. What's happening in the BC market? Well, in the BC market, um, after we know that you know things slowed down a little bit um, with the foreign buyers tax in 2016, and then there were additional uh, announcements by the BC government before the BC Liberals were ousted, um, and it slowed down. But you know what? The BC market is as strong as ever. It bounced back up. Um, we're not entirely surprised. Um, even with the closing of the loophole with the five-year fixed story, if you put under 20, 20% down on your home, um, uh, even with those announcements, we've bounced back up. And, and I'm not surprised. I mean, you still have a lot of demand because the interest rates are low. When we talk about your BC market, though, um, you know, when you and I uh, had kind of watched the, the market go down, there's always that kind of underlying tone that, you know, the foreign buyers had, had bailed out. But now it seems like, uh, from my understanding, they've accepted the foreign buyer tax and they've, you know, jumped right back into the market. They have. I mean, that said, it, it's good to sort of take a look at, you know, where the foreign buyers um, are in the marketplace. And, and I believe the, the latest statistics from, uh, you know, the real estate boards in Vancouver 
they took a look at, you know, where the foreign involvement was, and they found that, you know, in, in January of 2017, it was just under 4%, just about 3.7% of the residential purchases were by foreign buyers. Uh, by October of, the, that, of this year, the same year, 2.61%. Um, it sort of fluctuated up and down between that 3.7 to, to sort of 2.5, a little under 2.5. But it's, it, you know, we've, between 25 to 4% of the, of the market is foreign buyers and the, and the rest are, are domestic. So there's still a strong demand by, you know, Canadian residents, BC residents to buy BC housing. Now, when we when we talk about the foreign buyers, though, and, and I remember you and I having this conversation last year in 2016, um, it was a much more significant number um, back in 2016 for a, a few months there. You know, I think I think when we saw the run up come April, May and June in 2016, you know, BC was, you know, a much higher number. I mean, you know, not not sure the exact number, but I mean, we heard everywhere from seven to 15 percent of all sales were being done by foreign buyers. And that's the thing is, is we're not quite sure because the way we were calculating foreign buyer involvement was different than how we're calculating it now. Now it's based on that foreign buyer's tax. You know, we're, we've got hard concrete evidence of who's actually uh, not designated as a Canadian resident or a permanent resident or exemption from a foreign buyer tax um, because of, of a provincial mandate and must pay that tax. And prior to that, we didn't have that. So, it could have been as high as 15%, but we're not quite sure. It was sort of an extrapolated number uh, based on a number of different factors. Um, so it could have dropped quite significantly or maybe not. The math is fuzzy. Yeah. You know, it was interesting because I was on uh, with Jerry Agar this week and we were talking about a situation actually out in, in, in your neck of the woods in BC. And we were talking about some farmland and currently the tax structure, you know, they were taxing it as if it was worth $87,000 and the people just sold it for about $9.1 And everybody's up in arms saying, hey, these farmers are taking advantage of the tax breaks, but then they're reaping all the reward on the other side. Are, are you seeing more of that happening in the BC market? I think even before the foreign buyers tax was coming in, we saw that there was an encroachment onto farmland. And, you know, there there is a, a benefit, and I want to be very careful about how I use that word, for farmers or people that currently own land that's designated as agricultural, they do get a tax benefit. That said, um, I think there's a bit of a different mindset with individuals, and I'm, I'm talking about individuals that own agricultural land in BC. They're not very quick to try and reap those rewards. Um, a lot of them are trying to find family members that will continue on the farming tradition. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say that, and I don't think it's just in BC. I think we see the same in Alberta and Saskatchewan and even Manitoba. A lot of people are actually struggling to, to maintain some sort of agricultural business within the family. I think that's why we saw a huge back last to the uh, federal government closing the tax loopholes or closing at least the tax benefits of keeping on farmland in uh, in a family um, that said there are people that are cashing out because they can't they can't the family members don't want to continue or can't afford to continue and they are getting the benefit I think there's a lot more at stake than just whether or not they're getting a benefit from cashing out on land and a tax benefit of that there's um, a whole series of you know decades of investing in that land um, where they didn't see all that much uh, benefit unless they're going to cash out. So do we see encroachment on farmland? Yes, that is an issue. A separate issue is the fact that there are different tax structures. I know that there was a realtor that was defending the, the purchase of agricultural land to um, 
you know, Chinese buyers. They were Chinese buyers, and people were very upset by this because the, the taxes paid were not that significant. Um, and, you know, her argument was, well, no one else stepped up. I mean, that was the best offer. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I don't know if all our listeners, uh, you know, understand that when you have for a farmland, and let's just hypothetically say we've got about 100 acres, um, when it gets resold and, you know, people have this huge run up, it's not all capital gains exempt because mm-hmm. what they do is they actually calculate out around the primary residence or let's say the house that people live in. And they say, you know, basically, you know, they do work out for, you know, there's a percentage that and it's a lot lower than people think. You know, so if they if they get nine million dollars for a hundred acres, let's say, so you're you know you're averaging something in the neighborhood of ninety ninety thousand an acre, they only allow so much capital gains. Um, I think it's only know. one and a half hectares, which is not yeah. a lot of land. <laughs> no, so they, they they reduce it. So I you know a lot of people aren't aware that you know sure a, a farmer's cashing out, but the the provincial government is you know doing exceptionally well on these sales. And looking at the numbers, I mean, you've got almost eight thousand market transaction um, in just January of this year, and only fifty three were were farms. You know, people are are outraged because they're seeing anomalies. They're seeing, you know, the highlighted media is highlighting one particular example and showing how it's different than what they're used to. And there's still so many factors involved in that. You know, farmers. The reason why they get maybe a tax credit isn't because they're being exempt on that capital gains tax. It's because they've got a lot of capital expenses. Um, that they can offset that the income earned on the, the sale of the land. That's why they're getting that benefit, which is because they're running a business and they're being taxed on that on the on, on the land, and they can exempt some of the the the, uh, the tax based on that that the, the business uh, expenses. You know, there is still concern in the BC market and, and perhaps in the in the Cal and the Alberta market that agricultural land is now being eyed for potential development and people are buying that land and they're basically land banking, buying a bunch of land and hoping at some point they can develop it. As an investor, you and I both would agree that makes a lot of sense because there's we can't create more land. So obviously yeah. anything from the, when you start looking at, you know, the suburbs on the outskirts of any of the major, major metropolitan metropolises, then we're going to turn around and say, hey, listen, there's only one way it goes. It either goes up or it goes out. So, Mm. you know, obviously people doing this land banking makes a lot of sense. And some of this is foreign money that's coming in because they're investing in the future of mm-hmm. what they can possibly do. Um, you know, and, and again, as you said, you know, some people are getting their knickers in a knot a little because they're seeing this stuff and they're saying, hang on, it's not being taxed properly. But, you know, in, in the same breath, you know, this this could be a property for two or three generations and they've done more than contribute their share back into the economy. That's the difficulties when you look at just one piece of a puzzle, you look at just the sale of agricultural land, you don't see the 40 years put into a business of that agricultural land and understand the taxation within those 40 years and how a lot of these landowners might actually be saying, you know, because of the, un- the, the, the new tax rules on passing down corporations, businesses to family members and how it's no longer favorable, favorable, it doesn't make sense for me to keep this land and pass down the business. Well, listen, you know, you and I have lots to talk about because, of course, we have to come east to Toronto and uh, a lot of stuff going on here. You know, yeah. we're looking at just some crazy, crazy numbers. Of course, you're, you're experiencing the same thing. So I'm going to ask for you to stay put. We're going to go to a quick break. And uh, when we come back, you and I can talk, uh, you know, more about the Toronto market. Folks, if you're just tuning in, I've got Romana King joining me. And when we come back, we're going to start talking about Toronto. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. 
And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I've got one of my major guests who joins me on a regular basis and always, uh, you know, just always great to have her on because she's got such a great uh, understanding of the real estate bar- market. It is uh, Ms. Romana King. And of course, you've seen her articles in Money Sense. She is a real estate expert. And Romana, just before the break, you're kind of filling us in on the BC market. And uh, as always, I always love to know what's going on in the West because the Vancouver market's been one of the hottest markets in the world, but of course, being uh, being from Toronto originally, and um, we've got a lot to talk about. You and I always do. Yes, <laughs> seems like Toronto is rebounding robustly. Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting because we've kind of got a couple of deadlines that are coming down right now. One, you know, one of the biggest ones, of course, is the new stress test for mortgages and the fact that starting in January, if you're going to qualify now for a five-year fixed mortgage, you know, you're going to have to qualify with basically, you know, 2% higher. So everything basically at post. And so this is this is one of the things that, you know, we're, we're running with a hot market right now. You know, I was just talking talking to a few realtors, they're like, yeah, we're getting multiple offers. You know, people are selling at a decent price right now, even though we're coming into the Christmas season, you know, it's still a really hot market. Do you think that this is a big driver with the new uh, the new stress test? Absolutely. Anytime you have any change in the market, you have people scrambling to get ahead of that change. Um, and I, I, I'm not at all surprised. This is typically a low, a lower season. People are not as busy. But even in the, I mean, in the Vancouver market and the Toronto market, we're talking to realtors on the ground, and those realtors are busy, very busy, closing deals, putting up listings. People are definitely trying to get ahead of this this new mortgage stress test that's coming out January first, twenty eighteen. Yeah. You know, I, I, I kind of wonder how quickly they're going to close, though, because, I mean, you know, here we are, we're, we're, you know, basically the first week of December, and all of a sudden, you know, people are, because I believe they have to fund by, uh, by January 1st. Is that correct? They have to fund. I, I've been told by a few mortgage brokers that some of them are saying as long as it's written by December 31st, 2017, they'll, it'll be honored, it'll be okay. Um, so as long as all the you know the finalized paperwork, even if it's closing, you know January, sometime in January, as long as the pa- the paperwork is in and they've sort of solidified the deal, but that January first is is uh, is sort of the, the the drop dead deadline. Get it in before we know from prior years that when we've had a short um, short deadline. So uh, I'm looking at the foreign buyer tax in in BC when they had six days, we had a huge rush on the market. Um, I anticipate the same thing. You're going to have a huge rush, short closing, even on paper, just to sort of try and get things pushed through before that deadline. Yeah, maybe a few people will get the get the funds, but they won't move out for you know a month or two <laughs> to give them some mm-hmm. time. You know, and 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 again, good good point about BC because that's what happened in BC. But in, if you remember here in Toronto, when the wind government decided, they just literally slammed it down that day, so there was no huge run up. You <laughs> yeah. know, it was sort of like, oh, by the way, um, so what time is it? Yeah, okay, it's now in in effect. Um, so I I don't think we're going to see that. Uh, let's let's flip over to the condominium market. Um, just a little bit earlier on the show, I had uh, Sean Hildebrand. He was the senior vice president of Urbanation, and um, you know they do a lot of releases. He used to work with CMHC, and right now, you know everybody is saying we aren't building enough condos. I mean, despite the fact that when you take a look at the skyline here, it's like all you do is see new condos going up, but we just don't have enough being built. What do you think? Well, this has been the argument for the last twenty years. Actually, it's it's not a new argument. 
Um, we do see other countries, sorry, other cities in the world, other you know huge metropolises that realize densification is the only way to build when you're going to be a, a global city. Toronto, I think, has crossed that point now. It's now a global city. We don't have people just moving from, you know, Newfoundland to Toronto. We have people moving from the UK. We have people moving from Europe to Toronto as a destination to live and work. And once you become a global city, you can't, you can't ignore densification, and if you don't put those plans into effect, you're going to have problems. My husband and I, we recently took a trip down to San Francisco and realized how poorly Canadian cities have done when it comes to just dealing with densification and traffic and just densification for living. You know, you don't see a single family detached in San Francisco. They're all condos. They all look like family homes, but they're all condos. Right. And, and, you know, when, when you talk about some of the other cities, you know, one of, one of the biggest you know, problems that we have here, obviously, is transit. And without proper transit, it doesn't matter. They're racking and stacking them here and it's just making more congestion. You know, there's all sorts of suggestions where, you know, you shut down King Street, you, you know, you redirect everything. But it is not, uh, you know, I, I would say part, probably the biggest problem with Toronto is not only going to be transit, but it's also the schooling, because the more people we put up in the sky, the more uh, the more that we're going to have to have decent schools that are being built that are in the, in the proximity. And Toronto could take a page from Vancouver and realize, you know, this has already happened in Canada. There was a whole segment in Langley and in uh, Metro Vancouver where parents were told, they moved into these condos and they were told, I'm sorry, we will not be able to accommodate your children in your local school. We just don't, don't have the space. And that was kind of a, it was a juxtaposition between two different rulings. You had, you know, a whole bunch of condos go up and people move in so they can be in good school zones. And then the Supreme Court of, of uh, BC came in and said, listen, you can't, you can't just stuff kids into a classroom and go beyond a certain number of kids per class. We're going to cap it. We're going to say it's 20 kids per class or 24 per class, and that's it. And you had, you know, parents scrambling. What am I going to do? I can't send my children to the, the school that we were we thought they were going to go to. We moved, we bought this condo to be in the school zone, and now we can't even go to it. So Toronto can certainly learn from that, and we can all planners across Canada that that are looking at, you know, increasing the densification of each city need to realize it's not just moving people from place to place. It's it's also the amenities. I think Toronto realized with that King Street corridor. I mean, we have a house down on that that corridor. The densification in the last decade and the last two decades has been remarkable. You've got so many more people in that small little segment of the city moving and living and putting stresses on that on those uh, on those services. Yeah. Now, just um, you know, you and I always talk about uh, real estate investment, and so I just wanted to touch with you on this, and, and it's an important one. Is that you know a lot of people are still investing in condominiums. You know, builders are now putting them up. We're over eight hundred dollars a square foot. Eight eighteen is the average for a brand new condo being built right now. You know, and and yes, rents are up, but I'm still concerned because if we if we take a look at carrying a mortgage maintenance fees that are normally artificially low for the first year or two, plus property taxes, we've got most people in a negative cash position still because the prices have had such a run-up. Despite the fact that we keep talking about vacancy rates, we're still not seeing a huge push on the rents. And so I I would say, should we still be cautioning investors buying the brand new stuff? Because that condominium fee, you and I both know, that's going to jump in the near future. 
Well, I totally agree with you, Todd. And I've always actually stated that, you know, when you're doing pre-sale condo investment, it's not really investment, it's speculation. And that's an entirely different breed of real estate investment. You know, for me, real estate investment, anytime you invest in anything, you've got all the parameters and all the, the variables laid out in front of you. And you can make very solid decisions, financial decisions based on that. When it comes to pre-sales, it's exactly what you said. You've got unknown costs that can really run up the expenses on an, on an annual basis. And when you're trying to extrapolate how much you're going to charge rent and how much your expenses are, and those are two unknowns. They're variables that have yet to be determined before you, t- you take possession. I, I just don't see that as real estate investment. I see it as speculation. If you've got deep pockets and you can a- add extra money to it so you can make the numbers work, perhaps it's a good idea. I still think that when you're looking at real estate investment, you should look at more known quantities. You should look at resale condos. You should look at uh, different different opportunities within the market that don't look at speculation, that don't look at variables. You have no idea of what to calculate in a year, two years, three years down the road. Yeah. You know, and this, this, this is the thing. My, my, always my biggest concern for investors is that, you know, when you determine what you are, it's either you're a speculator or an investor. Investor means that you're going to have positive cash flow. You're not paying out of your own pocket. Speculator is, hey, listen, I'm going to lose some money, hopefully to get some capital gains. And that's, that's the one that I think I'm the most concerned about. Let's jump into kind of the final topic, the Toronto Real Estate Board, of course, the, the ones who have been the gatekeeper for all the information, you know, just announced on Friday that uh, it looks like they will no longer be the ones that are keeping all the information, that it's going to be uh, open to the public. What's your take on this? Because this has been a tough one for a while. Well, they've been fighting for a while. Um, I'm not surprised. I really am not. I think the writing was on the wall. We've had, you know, judgments from the Competition uh, Bureau Tribunal. Uh, They've made their pronouncements. They've had, you know, multi-page documents, you know, justifying their their decisions. So for them to come down and actually say, no, you have to release this, you cannot be the gatekeepers, it's a lack of competition to deny uh, VOWs, which is the virtual offices, um, the ability to use this information in you know a non-price competition way. We're not surprised. I, I, uh, we're, we're not surprised also that the TREB has been so adamant about fighting this. They are tasked with trying to keep their profession to, uh, you know, to have the best competitive value in the market and to be gatekeepers is to have competitive value so for treb to fight that was what they that was their their mandate they they need to fight for their their professions um but we're not surprised that they've lost the competition bureaus come in you know treb is going to probably find different ways to to fight this but uh, i think really the writing is on the wall they've lost this fight yeah, and and uh, I'm sure that you know they've always been going after the appeal process on this, and because they they believe that they they are doing doing good by the public, because again it's that whole idea of privacy that you cannot allow people to know you know basically the inner workings of a deal. But you know there's been there's been people that have been stepping on over the line. There's been a lot of gray area for years on this. Um, do you do you think that this is going to you know have more startup companies that maybe are not, you know, licensed realtors that are going to start providing more information to the public at a, at, you know, very easily. And, and do you think we're going to see more of this? Yes, I think you're going to see more competition in the, in the sort of the tech space. I know my, my organization, Zolo, is one of them. And there's um, Redfin and Dillow in the States have actually suggested that they're interested in the Canadian market if data becomes available. We have to understand, you know, there's a precedent here. It is a, it is a cross-country precedent, but America has an entirely different model when it comes to privacy. 
and we're talking about a country that takes privacy very seriously. America takes, you know, privacy and, and the right to, to make decisions for oneself very seriously. And yet you can get all manner of information when it comes to residential resale um, information. Uh, Canada, I think, protects personal privacy a bit better. But the reality is, and this is why Treb lost this, this, this fight, is the reality is this information has already been made available in different ways. You can go and pay $10 and get a title search and get all the information you want. If you're a homeowner, you can go and log into your you know, property tax file, and you can see what your, your neighbor paid for the house next door. So this information is already made available. It's not a privacy issue. Um, so because it's not a privacy issue and the information is made available, these new companies were not waiting for the the, the data to be made available, what they were waiting for is a systematized, you know, way to aggregate all this information in a fairly easy way so that they could use it in a, a meaningful way for the public to actually have the data made available to them. That's what we were waiting for. And, and when Treb is ordered to open up these doors, that's what's been made available is that it's now an aggregate batch of information that they now are provided, you know, where they can, they can use the raw data to, to, to do things with. And that's exciting. Listen, Romano, always a pleasure having you on, and and I thank you once again for joining us today because it's uh, it's great to get uh, you know your perspective on things always, and um, you know I uh, I wish you and your family all the best for the holidays, and we'll definitely have to touch base in January to find out what is going on in the market. Yes, absolutely. Always a pleasure having Romano King join me, and uh, you know what, some great information. One of the reasons why I like having her on the show so much is the fact that when we do talk about the Vancouver market. It's kind of, it's it's almost like it's six to twelve months ahead of the Toronto market. So you know, us knowing on what's going on out there always will help us kind of do a little bit more of a prediction here in Toronto. Um, I want to thank Sean Hildebrand for joining me as well, Senior Vice President at Urban Nation. Great, uh, great information there, folks. So we've got to keep our eyes on the condominium market, of course. Keeping um, keeping in mind whenever you buy something like this, cash flow is key. So I want to thank my producers Andre and Ian as usual. They they make it simple for me. I want to thank you for tuning in this week. And um, remember, I'm back next Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.